Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoyed this week's message by Pastor Caleb Schaefer. And we are in Colossians chapter 3, and we're actually going to finish up uh, the uh, series on the book of Colossians today. We're going to break down Colossians 3. There's about six verses in Colossians 4 we could dive into, and then it goes into personal greetings, but we'll just uh, leave that to you to read and, uh, and, and get out of it uh, what you would. Hey, let's do this real quick. We're going to read through the first the, the chapter of Colossians 3, but let's, t- let's do it a little old school. Will you guys stand with me as we read the Word? How many of you guys ever grew up in church where there was a standing as you read the Word together? Anybody? Okay, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. All right, everybody say, therefore. Therefore, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living with them. Anybody got a testimony? But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. I love this scripture. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. Let me just let you know that in the body of Christ, it is the most culturally diverse place in the world. Because Christ is all, and he is in all. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. I think Jesus had more than complaints against us. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, In word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Slaves, in all things, obey those those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with a sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Once again, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men 
knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve, for he who does wrong will receive the consequence of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. You can be seated. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Let's, work, let's pray real quick. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is so rich that it has, life, it has everything that pertains to life and godliness for us in this hour of our lives. I pray that you would speak to us this morning. I pray that your Holy Spirit would take the scriptures that we have already read and begin to uh, embed them in our hearts. And God, I pray that it would not be in us just alone, but Father, that we would apply it. We would put it into action in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1989, Janie Tinklenberg, that's an interesting name, a youth leader at Calvary Church in Holland, Michigan, read a book written in 1896 called In His Steps. This book told the story of Reverend Henry Maxwell and the spiritual awakening him and his church experienced as a result of a question that they asked themselves in every situation of life and decided to act accordingly on it. The question was, what would Jesus do? After reading the book, Janie had an idea. She thought to create a bracelet for her students. I'm wearing it right now. Anybody remember the WWJD bracelet? Anybody ever have one? This is where that came from. After reading the book, Janie had an idea. She thought to create a bracelet for her students with the acronym WWJD on it, that would remind them to ask themselves that same question in any given situation. These simple bracelets grew into a cultural trend. By 1997, Paul Harvey, anybody ever heard of Paul Harvey? Good day. <laughs> My dad listened to Paul Harvey all the time, I remember that. But 1997, Paul Harvey mentioned them on the radio and in that year alone, sales grew to 15 million. By 1998, the website WWJD, or whatwouldjesusdo.com, was selling 300,000 of these a month. And this simple question turned into a WWJD bracelet, obviously became a global phenomenon. If you were ever to wonder what the answer is to the question, what should Christians do? The answer to that question is the same answer to the question, what would Jesus do? The point is, is that as followers of Jesus, we are to do what Jesus did as much as we possibly can. You could say that the essence of Colossians chapter 3 is that very thing. It is a chapter dedicated to the practical day in and day out application of our spiritual position in Jesus Christ. Another way of saying that is this, it is the putting into practice our position in Christ. In Colossians chapter 1 and 2, we saw this, uh, Paul focuses his writing on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, and then he transitions in Colossians 3, he shifts his focus to now what we should do because of what Christ has done, because as we ended last week, we are where? We are in him. 
In Colossians 3, verses 1 and 3, we see our position in Christ. Verse 1, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, this word if here is not questioning this spiritual reality. Another word you could substitute for if there is since. So therefore, since you have been raised up with Christ. So our first spiritual position that Paul identifies is that we are raised up with Christ. And then he further expresses our position in Christ in verse 3. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Turn to somebody and say, you're in him. The Amplified Version adds a little bit to this verse 3. It says, you have died to this world. You've died to this world. The Passion Translation says your true life is hidden away in God, in Christ. So our positions are, number one, we have been raised up with Christ. Remember in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, that we were buried with him, we were raised up with him, and two, second position is that we are hidden in Christ with God. These are our spiritual positions. So what that means is that As followers of Jesus, this is important, we are to live as if Jesus is who people will experience and see when they interact with us. That's the way we're supposed to live. What would Jesus do? Because remember, our spiritual position is that we are hidden in Christ. So if we're hidden in Christ, who are they supposed to see? If we're honest, the opposite of this spiritual reality can be more true. What do I mean? Christ can be more hidden in us than we are hidden in him. I think that's more often the reality. We can compartmentalize Jesus to the places in our lives where we are most comfortable with having him on the outside. But then in other places, we kind of, you know, you know, we, 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 we push Christ down. But Colossians 3 is about living out in a day-in and day-out application your spiritual position. He is in you, but you are more in him. And so if you are hidden in him, that means that the person that they should experience and see more often when they interact with us is Jesus. We can't allow Christ to be hidden in us when we're hidden in him. So what does the practical daily application of this look like? What does it look like for us to live out on a daily basis our spiritual position in Jesus Christ? The first thing is this. Number one, think from where you are seated. Think from where you are seated. Remember, verse 1 said, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, not just raised from the dead, but where is Jesus seated? Where is he? <laughs> it was like, you can answer. Let's have a little feedback here. Let's have, have a little interaction. Where is Jesus seated? So if you're raised with him, Ephesians says you are seated with Christ in heavenly realms. The practical application of walking out this spiritual position is, number one, you need to think from where 
you are seated. Proverbs, now why? Because Proverbs says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Whatever you believe in your heart about yourself gets projected in your behavior among people. That's often what happens, is you project whatever you believe about yourself. That's why when Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself, it's important for you to love yourself. Because whatever you believe about yourself will be projected on all of the people around you. You will love them in proportion to the way that you love yourself well. Now, I'm not saying that you become self-indulgent and selfish and self-focused, but what I'm saying is that often the way you treat other people is how you treat yourself. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Listen to me this morning. If people are going to experience and see Jesus when they interact with us, then we have to, verse 1, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right, right hand of God. In verse 2, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. So your ability to display Jesus to others is directly connected to how consistently you think about your life from where you are seated with Christ. This is what Jesus did, didn't he? Jesus did this all the time. How many times that would, would you see in the Gospels, you'd see Jesus in a certain situation and circumstance, and, and he would do what? He would lift up his eyes. He'd lift up his eyes to heaven. What was he doing? He was thinking from where he used to be seated and where he would eventually be seated again. He was thinking, he was seeing what is the, the solution of heaven that the earth needs to experience. Remember in Matthew 6, what did, how did Jesus teach his disciples? He said, this is how you should pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your will be done, your, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You cannot bring heaven to earth if you're not thinking from where you're seated. So we have, this is something we grow into. Now, I, I know that that sounds really um, <laughs> ethereal and kind of like out there. What does that actually look like? Listen to the message translation. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. See, if we think from where we are seated in heaven with Christ, we will be able to apply what we understand of the kingdom of heaven on the earth. So here's the two practical applications of thinking where you're seated. Number one, seek God's perspective for your life. Seek God's perspective. Ask God to show you how he sees your life right now. Sees the things that are going on in your life, the people in your life. We need our perspectives to be shifted. We need revelation and understanding about how to accurately and properly see, properly see our lives here on the earth. Graham Cook says this about this, in any situation, a great question to ask is God, what are you trying to teach me 
or show me in this situation. That, that prayer is seeking God's perspective. God, I, how many of you have ever been in a situation where your mind is so unhealthy, it's not in a good place, and you need an elevation? You need to step back or step up to be able to see things with a better clarity because right now it's not good. That's what it means to seek God's perspective. Asking God in any situation, God, what are you trying to teach me or show me in this situation? I'll never forget a time that I put this into practice because I was not thinking where I was seated. There were, uh, being in youth ministry, you work with students and leaders that um, annoy you sometimes. Uh, if it's a lot like parenting, right? And so uh, I had a group of students that were just frustrating me. Um, if, if I had it my way, I would have put them all in a headlock. Uh, I would have exiled them from the youth ministry. Uh, we would have got toe-to-toe. -to -toe. It probably would have went blow for blow. Uh, I would have, you know, gave them a knuckle sandwich, some five-fold ministry, I think, as Pastor Dwight has said, five-fold ministry. So I needed a different perspective because right now, uh, the way I am viewing these students is not healthy. And so I did, at that time, I, I, went, to a, on I went to Black Lake for a prayer walk. And I was just, honestly, complaining on the trail. God, they're annoying me. God, they're frustrating me. God, I don't, I want to hurt them. <laughs> I want to hurt them. I, I want to physically hurt them. But Lord, that's, that's me seeing things right here. I need your perspective. I need your perspective. And so my, 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 my complaining turned into the prayer, God, help me to understand what's going on in their heart that is causing them to behave in this way. And through that time, and it was maybe not just, you know, it like in our romanticized idea of Christianity, it would have been like, and I was walking, and then I saw this cloud open up, and this light came down on me, and I instantaneously just knew. It was probably two to three days of that going to the trail to complain. But over that time, God began to give me some insight. And that insight changed my behavior. It changed my, the way I was approaching them. It changed. Now, by the way, these kids have all graduated the youth ministry. So you're, <laughs> you're, everybody, like, no one's amening because they're like, Gavin? Um, Johnny? <laughs> this was years ago. <laughs> Not Gavin. Never Gavin. Never Gavin. But it was, it was seeing God's perspective. And, and a lot of times I confess that the reason why we don't like to do this is because often when you get God's perspective about someone, it's not what you want to hear. You don't like that when you ask God, what do you think about this person? It's always like, I love them so much. And it's like, no, that wasn't you because I don't like them right now. So God, you know, can you use some more colorful language? Maybe some language I would like to use. But that's how, what it looks like to see God's perspective. You've you got to elevate your perspective. You've got to see people in your life the way that he sees it. The second thing is seek his wisdom 
for the decisions that you need to make. <clears throat> we, I believe firmly that God can open doors that no man can close and close doors that no man can open. I believe that wholeheartedly. The Bible uh, talks about that, and I believe that that is within God's power to do. And <clears throat> Allison and I wanted to, um, we wanted to, we were looking into selling our house uh, last October, and uh, we actually placed a bid on a house in Lithopolis, because at the time, you know, hey, listen, gas is no big deal, right? And, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. So, but at the time, as Pastor Dwight and Tammy live in Carroll, and they're like, that's just not a funny joke. It's not funny at all. But at the time, we were praying. But it wasn't, God, give me our will. We want what you want. Okay? I love the house. I, I thought the house was amazing. I thought it was an upgrade. But God, I want what you want. I don't want what we want. So open doors that no man can close and close doors that no man can open. And he closed the door that we couldn't open, and we didn't get the house. But can I tell you that right around February and March, I was on my knees thanking God we didn't get the house. Okay? Because if I wasn't seeking his wisdom for the decision, we would have continued to add more money to our bid to make sure we got the house. And then we would have been broke. And then I would have been going to Pastor Dwight, demanding a raise, or if he didn't give it to me, I'd go to the elders and be like, I've been a pastor here, I've tithed for years, I need benevolence on a monthly basis for about two, I need a $250 stipend benevolence to offset my mortgage because I can't afford a mortgage. I am so thankful that we decided to seek his wisdom for the decisions that we needed to make. Okay? These, these are just practical ways that you begin to think where you're seated. Okay, so that's the first thing. We've got to think where we're seated. If we're going to day in and day out, people are going to experience and see Jesus, we've got to think where we're seated. Number two, we've got to take the old life off. Verse five, therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. The, the, if I could make this the Caleb translation, what I would say is this. When you consider your own life, do you think there's just certain things I'm just allowed to do? God's grace covers it. God's grace is good. He covers it. And the thing about that is he does cover it. But Romans, Paul says, shall we continue to go on in sinning or that dead life so that grace can increase? Certainly not. By every means, no. This is sanctification. Everybody, listen, nobody amen sanctification. We, we, we amen salvation. We love Jesus liberating us, setting us free, freeing us from the forgiveness. We, we love the forgiveness of Jesus, but then when Paul starts to talk about the fact that like you can't have the old life and the new life at the same time, and it be okay, no one amens that. 
Okay, this is what he's getting at. Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. The word consider here, listen, is this. It means to make what's already dead spiritually dead in your practice. Make it dead in your practice. The Amplified Translation it adds these things. So put to death and deprive of power the evil longings of your earthly body with its sensual, self-centered centered instincts, immorality, impurity, sinful passion, evil desire, and greed, which is a kind of idolatry because it replaces your devotion to God. Wow. See, what we think is that we think we can manage two worlds without understanding, as we talked about last week, anything that get, gets elevated to the same level of importance as Jesus is seeking your affection, attention, and your devotion. And he said, these things become idols that replace your devotion to God. So how do we put to, dead, put to death the old life? We gotta do our best to limit our availability to the old life. Let's get real practical. That just means like, hey, can't go there. Hey, um, I just can't hang out with those people. I, I can't go back to that bar because I've had a lot of experiences at that bar. Like, I can't, I can't go there. You, you have to limit your availability to the old life. Close the door and nail it shut. Lock the door and throw away the key. Listen, if you struggle with pornography, you got to get rid of cable. Oh, man. I guess if you can't, if you can't see, listen, uh, here's how I, protect, I have protected in times when I have been susceptible to wanting to look at pornography on the internet. I have put my laptop and my phone on my wife's nightstand so that if I ever got tempted in the middle of the night to get, get up and go downstairs, I have to look at her, grab my laptop and phone to deliberately go downstairs and cheat on her with my eyes. Oh, did we get real real quick? See, nobody amens this, do they? <laughs> this is the practical application. Okay? If you can't handle the internet, I guess you got to go to the library now. Or accountability. Or software. Or allow people into your life. Okay? Because we can't have both. Okay, you got to lock the door and throw away the key. That doesn't mean that the desire goes away, but what I do know is that whatever you feed will live and whatever you starve will die. That's why fasting is the death of your flesh. You are starving your flesh so that all of that carnality inside of you is dying. And you no longer have the will because you've put it to death. This is what Paul's saying. Put it to death. In, this is a spiritual truth, by the way that you died with Christ. It's a spiritual reality, but now it requires a practice. So consider the passions of your life as dead. Whatever you entertain, you will energize. In premarital counseling, if you go through premarital counseling, you will hear this, divorce is not an option. You know why we say that? Because what we're saying is this, uh, we're not saying that it isn't an option because people choose that option. But what we're saying is in the counsel that we are giving you, you have to consider 
divorce to not be on the table. You have to act as if it is not an option. Because the moment you enter into the marriage saying, maybe I can get out, you'll get out. You have to consider it not an option. And that means that you have to change the way you think. You have to orient your lives around the reality that certain things are no longer on the table. By the way, I'm not condemning anybody who's gotten a divorce at all. I'm simply saying that we, when we're counseling people for marriage, we want to set them up for success. God did not add any contingency to marriage in the garden. Hey, if you want to get out of this, you can. He was saying the two will become one flesh. When they're one flesh, that means they are inseparable. See, where confusion, this is where confusion comes. Where confusion comes in the Christian life, it's when we believe that putting to death the old life is not necessary. One of my most favorite quotes from a... um, an author, his name is Nathaniel Hawthorne. Anybody ever read any Nathaniel Hawthorne? Oh my gosh, I love this quote. He said this, he said, No man for any considerable period can wear one face to himself and another to the multitude without finally getting bewildered as to which may be the true one. That's the confusion that comes when we live between the worlds. When we, now, I'm not saying that I'm not living between the world. And I'm not saying that I don't have issues that I'm still dealing with. But when I look at those, those issues, I have made it up within my mind that that's not okay. That that's not acceptable. That that is an old way of life that needs to be put to death. People don't always have that perspective. They think, hey, man, grace has got it. Grace covers it. I'm good. Verse 8 goes on to talk more about what needs to be put to death. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Verse 9, do not lie to one another since, once again, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. You ever killed a bug? Anybody? Have you ever stepped on it and it's still twitching? That's what Paul's getting at. You have died with Christ, you are dead, but you still got some muscles that are contracting, and they twitch from time to time from that old life, and they still need to be dealt with. We're dealing with the twitches. Those things inside of us that are just, like, we don't have to work hard at these things. They just come out. He's saying those need to be put to death. In message translation says, that means killing off everything connected with that way of delight, of death. Sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like whenever you feel like it, and grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. It's because of this kind of thing that God is about to explode in anger. It wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff and not knowing anybody better, but now you know better. So make sure it's all gone by, for good. Bad temper, irritability, wean, uh, meanness, profanity, and dirty talk. Think from where you're seated. You gotta take the old life off, and here's the third one. You got to take the old life off because you gotta put the new life on. Um, 
Anybody, uh, anybody know what Axe body spray is? <laughs> Kim laughed way too hard. <laughs> she had a fully stocked bathroom for Zildjian. And seriously, you know what Axe body spray is? Okay, growing up or working with youth ministry, what I have come to find is that teenagers believe that just spraying themselves with Axe body spray is an equal substitute to a legitimate bath. You need to take a shower? Like, I can't tell you how many winter conferences, youth conferences we've been at had not showered for consecutive days. They are fasting from showering. And the, fl the flesh is rotting. And, and, they, and I catch a whiff of the spirit. And I'm like, hey, man, did you shower? No, I got Axe body spray. I'm on it. You're not good. You are not good. That is not an equal substitute. Trying to put the new self on without removing anything from the old life is like a teenager who thinks spraying on Axe deodorant is an equal substitute to a legitimate shower. Your life will still stink because all you're doing is covering the funk. The reason why we need to put, take the old life off is because we have to put the new life on. A Christian life that tries to hide what needs to be taken off will still stink. It's, it will still stink. I love my son Gideon. He's on the camera. And um, most Sunday mornings, I, when you were growing up, did your parents, if you grew up in church, did your parents put your clothes out for you? Anybody, if your parents ever put your clothes out for you and said like this, and by the way, it's not like controlling what they wear, but it's like this is what's acceptable at church. Anybody ever have their parents like put, kind of lay out some options for you? Anybody? <laughs> Anybody? Okay. Uh, my mom did too. My mom did too. Um, and it's because young, young, young men usually don't know. They don't know what you're supposed to wear to church. Okay. And uh, Gideon is no different. I love Gideon. I, by the way, I have, have his permission to share the story. But the thing that I love about Gideon is that Gideon will come downstairs almost every Sunday morning in the clothes that he slept in. And I'll be like, hey, you ready for church? And he's like, yep. <laughs> Bedhead all over. A hoodie and some basketball shorts. I'm ready for church. I'm good. And I'm like... No, you're not, because I know your mom. Your mom has laid out some acceptable wardrobe for you to just choose from. You can put the khaki shorts with the T-shirt. Like, choose any of this, and it will be okay. And so he gets all frustrated. He goes upstairs, and he comes downstairs. And you know what Gideon does? Gideon just takes the stuff Allison told him he's allowed to wear, and just puts it over, <laughs> over the bedclothes. And this is what's so funny about it. He has come downstairs with some khaki shorts on, with basketball shorts underneath, and the basketball shorts are longer than the khaki shorts. And I'm like, you can't even hide that you're trying to wear both. I can see it. What are you? He's like, I. 
I got them on. I got, I, got, I, got the, I got the acceptable clothes on. What's the problem? The problem is you didn't realize that there was something you were supposed to take off before you put the new thing on. You can't wear both of them at the same time. Listen to me this morning. If you want to know where your spiritual maturity is, then how much of the old life are you still trying to keep on under the new life that you're putting on? How much? Just a little bit of... Just a little bit of this. Our, our focus and our heart has to realize that the old and the new are just not compatible. We've got to put them put off to put on. So what are we supposed to put on? See, we don't do this to earn our salvation. We do this to exhibit it. Okay, so it's not about like, and, and this is where things get gray because we talk about, and we talked about this last week, we, we talked about how like your performance does not get you saved. That's not, what, that's not what causes God to think differently about you. However, we exhibit new things because we have been saved. So we're not earning salvation in what we're putting on, but we are demonstrating that we fully comprehend that we were in need of a Savior in what we exhibit. So what are we supposed to put on? Verse 11, put on a spirit of unity, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all. Why do we put on a spirit of unity? Because Christ is all and he is in all. The message translation says this, from now on everyone is defined by Christ and everyone is included in Christ. So that means that I don't look at Sean and I'm like, Sean, you have a Jesus inside of you that is inferior to the Jesus inside of me. So. <laughs> because we do play spiritual pole positioning. Like, I'm clearly more spiritual than you. I'm clearly, I'm clear. It's like, uh, do you remember when Jesus talked about the religious man that came into the synagogue and he offered up a prayer and he said, God, I thank you that I am so much better than that man? If Christ is all, and he is in all, then unity happens. Because we are not putting, we are not ranking people in the Jesus inside of them. See, diversity allows, or, or the body of Christ is supposed to allow diversity because Christ is all and in all. So we can all be here because what brings us together is Jesus. Verse 12, what else do we put on? We put on compassion. We put on uh, kindness. We put on humility. 
We put on gentleness. We put on patience. A lot of those sound like the fruits of the Spirit, don't they? And then, verse 13, another thing we put on. We put on forgiveness just as Jesus did, so also you should forgive. Can you forgive those that you disagree with? Can you forgive those that disagree with you? Can you forgive that you may see things differently? Can you forgive the offenses that people may have done to you that you didn't even, that they weren't even intending? Can I tell you how many offenses that we take that if you actually talk to the person, they were not even intending that? They, they were not, that's why it is the bait of Satan. Like, offenses can be so easy, so quick. Can you forgive? Put on forgiveness. Verse 14, put on love. Passion translation words it this way, love becomes the mark of true maturity. True maturity. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, without love, I'm nothing. So we got to take the old life off because we got to put the new self on. And here's where I close. Why do we put on the new self? Here's why. Because the people closest to us need to experience and see Jesus the most. So we put, we put off the old self and we put on the new self because the people closest to us need to experience and see Jesus the most. What do I mean? Do you notice that Paul transitions from put off to put on to now here's the family, the people closest to you? He says, wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Paul was addressing what transformed humanity looks like in a first century Roman home that's been touched by the gospel. That's why he was emphasizing these things. Let me give you a couple of examples of first century Roman home. Husbands and fathers had absolute authority in the Roman home. It was called patria potestas. They had the right of ownership and authority, so their whole family was owned by them. They had the right of ownership. They had the right of authority. And here's the crazy one. By law, if they didn't like their kid, they could just kill them. If they didn't like their wife, they could just kill their wife. Under the legal right in a Roman home of patria potestas. I have authority. She has undermined my authority. So I killed her. Uh, this is why Nero like, killed his mom and his wife. Patria Potestas. This is, this is what was commonplace in the culture. Now look at the scripture 18 through 21 and how Paul is rewriting the script that they're so familiar with. Husbands, you actually don't kill your wives. You love your wives. See, we put on the new self because the people close to us need to experience and see Jesus the most. And the reason why this is important is because we have this awareness so often 
that we have a tendency to put on Jesus most to the people that don't know us. And we take advantage of the relationships at home. Let's be honest. there, There are times where I feel justified in yelling in my house because I got a great wife and good kids. And sometimes, like, sometimes you maybe have heard this from your spouse or your kids or somewhere else where they're like, you would never act that way around those people. Why? Because there's something in our minds that we think, if I'm going to be Jesus, it's going to be the, to the stranger. But at home... I can just kind of have my freedom to just, because we're married, they have to tolerate it. Are, am I being honest? I'm just saying that this is, isn't it interesting that Paul goes from put off the old self to put on the new self, and then here's the people that you should put the new self onto. The husbands, the wives, the children, the parents. It's all about the people that should see Jesus and experience Jesus the most should be the people that are closest to you. Now, to make these things into a don't-do list of daily practices would be overwhelming because you could take all of Colossians 3 and be like, okay, okay, I'm going to wake up and God, help me to not do this and not do this and not do this and not do this and not do this. How do we do, the, how do these things become what we naturally do? The answer is in verse 10. Colossians 3.10 in the New Living Translation says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. So what that means is that your understanding of why will follow you actually doing it. We want to know why before we do. But he's actually saying, put on the new nature and then when you put it on, you will gain an understanding of the why as you're walking it out. You will know your creator and you'll become like him and your mind will be renewed as you just put it on. That's, that's what it is. What is the answer? How do, we, how, do we just, how do we take these things and they become natural? We just have to put on the new nature and allow our mind to be renewed by the one that we are hidden in. The other day uh, for Father's Day, we went to Pastor Dwight's house and uh, because, you know, like, he's a dad and I'm married to his daughter and that's, you know, and he's a spiritual father and a natural father to me. Actually, I like to do this uh, for, uh, for Tammy sometimes. I write, Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Or happy birthday, mom. But so we went over there. We were playing baseball. Dwight did. (laughs) Dwight does what Dwight does. He's got a big backyard. Kids love baseball. So he literally measured out a baseball diamond and mowed it lower and had the the plates and everything. And honestly, it was incredible until I woke up on Monday morning and I was so sore. (laughs) Like, I haven't run like that in years. But we were there. And Zeke is a little too young. It was Micah. Lucas, Naya, um, Gideon, myself, Matt, 
uh, Brian and Dwight, we were playing some of the older kids, but Zeke is young, and he's like, he just wants to be a part. And so Zeke comes over, and he's like, he's like, Dad, can I play? I, I, he's got such a thick frame for a little kid, he's like, <laughs> like, Dad, I don't play. And I was like, okay, at the time I was playing um, catcher slash umpire. And I was like, okay, you stand right next to me, and if a ball gets past me, run behind me and just get it. He's like, okay. So I'm standing like this because I, I, I feel very insecure when my glasses drop because Nick always cracks on me. So every, day, every time they drop, Nick ropes, it's like, will you stop looking at me like an old man? So I got to. So I'm watching, you know, I'm calling balls and strikes. Zeke does not know what to do until he just looks at me. And so what I notice out of my peripheral vision is I'm like this, and Zeke goes like from this to like. How simple was that? But his behavior shifted by him looking at the one in whose image he's born in, and it was, his behavior was renewed as he imitated. How do you put on the new self? You focus on the one whose image you're made in, and you become renewed in your behavior. Put on your new nature, and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. What would Jesus do? Will you stand with me? <clears throat> Love this quote because it just kind of culminates all of it. Every Christian is in a continuing education program. The more we know of Christ the more we are changed to be like him. But in order for that to happen, we have to come to a point in our hearts where we settle that some things just have to be off the table. That there are old natures and old ways and old lives that we still tolerate and we're trying to almost negotiate within our hearts with God, God, will you just allow this to still be here? Because I really kind of enjoy it. But you got to put off the old because you can't put the new on over the old because that's where confusion happens. So with your head bowed, eyes closed, if there's anybody in the room that this script, this, these scriptural truths have just resonated with you, where you're like, man, I know that I have some old ways that I have allowed to exist, that I have tried to compartmentalize to keep away from Jesus because I don't want, I don't want him to touch, I don't want him to take these things away. But something inside of you today just felt like, man, I feel like God has really been like working on my heart and saying, no, you can't have both. You gotta put to death the old, because you can't, put, you can't keep that on and put me on. So if that's where you are and you feel like the Lord has just spoke to you this morning with that, will you just slip your hand up? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you.
Thank you. Just, if you put your hand up, will you just, just open up your hands like this, simply saying, hey, this is me in, in a physical way of saying, God, I'm open to receive from you this morning. Jesus, we pray, Father, over every person in the room that responded this morning that has taken old ways from an old life that's dead in spirit but not dead in practice and said, oh, I still want to hold on to this. I want to keep this. I want to, I want to keep this around. And God, we just we pray, Father, that you would begin the process of renewing our mind as we focus on you, that you would help us to renew our nature, that you would help us to renew our behavior. And God, as we continue to focus on you, Father, I pray that the things that were difficult to do would become so natural. And Lord, I pray that we would not put on Jesus to strangers without first putting on Jesus at home. That there would not be a duality and a hypocrisy, Father, where the person at home is different than the person at work or the person among strangers or the person in this room. But there would be a consistency of our Christ-likeness no matter where we are. God, we thank you for what you did and we thank you for what, who you are. Jesus, I pray you would give us a grace to be able to walk out what we should do because of what you did. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We love you. This concludes Colossians. Read Colossians 4 on your own. If you're visiting this morning, Pastor Dwight and Tammy, myself, my wife would love to meet with you. We'll see you guys next week. God bless you. We love you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's Word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.